0: Welcome to The Social Work Social. My name is Melanie Matthews and I'm a registered social worker. Together, we're going to be exploring the world of mental health treatment by listening to stories and having conversations with a diverse group of social workers. And you're going to have to listen to me quite a bit too. Before we get started, there are two disclaimers about this podcast. The first one is, the information presented here should only be considered completely accurate for Ontario, Canada. There are different rules and regulations for mental health professionals, including social workers, in other parts of Canada and the rest of the world. So make sure you're doing your research to be sure that you know about the regulations specific to your area. The second disclaimer is that nothing presented here should be considered mental health treatment or medical advice. If you're interested in learning more or perhaps getting some of this treatment for yourself, make sure to consult an expert in your area your family doctor is usually a good place to start. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about addiction? Some people might be thinking about drugs or alcohol. Other people might be thinking about gambling or maybe even shopping. Something that might not immediately come to your mind though is sex addiction. I know it's something that I didn't really know a whole lot about until I started learning about it from our guest speaker today. We're gonna be having a discussion with Amber today about sex addiction. Amber is a certified sex addiction therapist candidate. This is also referred to as CSAT sometimes. She's gonna be sharing her perspectives on sex addiction and the therapeutic techniques that she uses when she's working with people who identify as someone with a sex addiction. As you might expect, because we're talking about sex addiction, we are also gonna be talking about sex. So a trigger warning for today is going to be that we're going to talk about sex and also there's going to be some talk about sexual assault and sexual offenders as well no graphic details or anything like that but something to be aware of if that's something you're sensitive to that being said let's jump into our interview with amber all
1: right so i'm amber stevenson i'm a social worker um, here in toronto i'm actually from a smaller town in southwestern ontario i came to toronto uh, about four years ago um, to complete my master's degree in social work and I've been practicing here since
0: in a, a variety of different settings. Thanks for joining me today Amber. Amber and I are gonna laugh the entire way through yes. because we <laughs> actually did our master's degree together um, and became really good friends. Um, we actually had our first job in the field together too after our master's degree.
1: Yes we got to work together as, as newbies
0: we did yes we learned a lot together and spent a lot of time in that conference room that we weren't supposed to be in but a lot of time doing
1: peer support which included some more of this giggling but also a lot of great clinical
0: discussion yes absolutely and speaking of clinical discussion you have a really interesting specialization now that we're not just doing generalist work anymore so what is your specialization so, um, something
1: exciting I'm working on right now is I'm becoming a certified sexual addiction therapist. So, this is a two year program that I began maybe close to a year ago now. I'll finish it a little bit less than two years. Um, I thought I was finished school after my master's, but I heard about this opportunity and really wanted to get started on it.
0: Uh, so, what
1: exactly is sex addiction? Great question. So sex addiction is clinically is very different than what you typically would see or hear about in the media. So I think in the media, something that gets confused often is sexual offending and sexual addiction. And that's not to say that someone can't have both, uh, have a sexual addiction and engage in sexually um, offensive behavior or, or be an offender if we were to use that language. Um, But it is to say that not every person with sexual addiction has offended or has victimized someone um, in the ways that we would typically see in the media. Um, And it's also not, I think, the classic, especially for our generation. Who who do you think of when you think of sexual addiction? Is there a certain person in the media or celebrity?
0: Oh, I don't know. I feel like there's so many people. And I feel like now I'm drawing a complete blank. I'm thinking of like, that rapper guy who was with all of those like fifteen. R
1: Kelly. R. Yes. Kelly. Yes. So no, he's just straight up sexual offender. I would say because like of the the his the, his crimes, but I think for our generation, I don't know if you remember Tiger Woods. Yes. Was,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so like I I can't remember details. So I think we were still a bit younger, but. Um, And obviously I wasn't considering being a sexual addiction therapist at the time. So I didn't pay close enough attention, but I think he had like been with uh, women outside of his marriage and that kind of reached the media and um, his wife had had a reaction in the media. Um, And that is a little bit, maybe more similar, but sexual addiction really is this very, very wide, wide umbrella um, term that encompasses behaviors of all sorts. And Um, In a lot of treatment centers, you'll hear love and sex addiction. Um, Sex addiction includes pornography use, compulsive sexual or relationship behaviors at all. And really at the root of it, what it is, is attachment traumas and attachment ruptures that have manifested in compulsive sexual behaviors.
0: So there's a lot more to it than just wanting to have sex a lot. That's
1: right. That's right. There's so much more to it than wanting to have a lot of sex. And I've actually met some sex addicts who... Um, and, and I think it's similar to substance use, right? Like people say, oh, so it's more than just partying. Like, of course it is. And when it reaches that level, that's not what people are doing anymore. They're not partying. They're not enjoying having sex. They're not enjoying making connections. It's really um, a repetition of really harmful behavior to not only those around them, but also themselves as well in a lot of cases.
0: So thinking about how it's actually something that might be really harmful to themselves and others, do, what do people feel like? when they have a sex addiction, what are the thoughts and feelings that they usually have?
1: I think the, the biggest feelings are probably guilt and shame. Um, if we think about our own experiences with, you know, talking about sex, um, engaging in sexual behaviors, it's usually met with, with some level of shame or embarrassment or like idea that this is, um, This should be a secret or it's dirty or bad. There's a lot of kind of myths around sex like that. And when you're a sex addict, that becomes internalized. And what that ends up feeling like is I am bad or I am dirty or there's something wrong with me. So guilt and shame are usually a huge, uh, huge part of it. And thoughts are often usually because there's that compulsive nature. So thoughts are often quite obsessive. So the sex addict is usually very preoccupied by their behavior, plans to engage in their behavior, or preoccupied by managing the intense distress that follows after engaging in their behavior, like feelings of guilt and shame, disgust, whatever it is.
0: I'd imagine there's a lot of stigma around talking about it, too. A lot of
1: stigma. And, and I think even within our own field, there are people who still don't believe that, it, that it's a thing. They still don't believe that sex or, or love addiction um, is a real addiction that deserves full treatment. And, and that's really unfortunate because I think that also I can imagine feeling that level of guilt and shame reaching out for help and then being told like what you're experiencing isn't real or what you're experiencing is, um, you know, not not treatable or or not a clinical issue like that would would be quite devastating and so I think that's also why it's hard to see and hard people to learn about is because it's difficult for anyone to come forward with it
0: so what made you decide that this was going to be your specialization so when I first
1: heard um so I got into an inpatient program and they had this inpatient sex and love addiction program and I thought like wow how does sex and love addiction get to the point where someone would have to come to inpatient like I'm just so curious and I think that's been my driving force across like all of getting into social work is I'm just so curious like why people do what they do how they do what they do and and I just always have wanted to know and that was a realm that I had never explored before but I do have quite an extensive history in domestic violence and I had learned throughout my time in domestic violence that some Violent relationships or abusive or toxic relationships follow a pattern of the addictive cycle, and so I kind of those thoughts kind of started coming up. I'm like, okay, like maybe this is starting to make sense. Um, And then when I started to learn more about it, the other great interest I have in the field, as you know, is trauma. And when I started to learn that this wasn't this wasn't just the a case of working with people who had compulsive behaviors of any sort, but it was working with people who had had deep deeply painful um, attachment ruptures usually as children that were now stuck in these adult bodies and pleading for help. I, like I just thought, like, how could, I, how could I not get involved in this? Like this is very fascinating work to do. And it's also work that, like I said, because there's such stigma around and it's work that's not getting done. So I, I wanted to just be one more person that could be there um, to help someone through it if they needed, needed that.
0: Absolutely. Um, I feel like it's a really constant thing in my practice too. coming back to trauma every single time, um, no matter what people are going through, it always seems to come back to trauma and like adverse childhood experiences and, you know, some sort of experience with you know, abuse or, or just a traumatic event. Um, everything is trauma. And I feel like when we look at it that way, it makes it more like easy to empathize with people. Because we all have something in our past that is awful. And I can't imagine that awful thing in my life causing me to behave in a way that makes it like so stigmatized and so misunderstood and being labeled as, you know, a sex offender rather than just someone who has this kind of trauma in the past. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I think you're right. It makes it just so easy to have so much compassion because you realize that, the intention is not to harm someone. And again, I'm speaking of someone with a sexual addiction. I'm not talking about someone who has sexually offended for reasons of power and control or victimization. But someone with a sexual addiction that has maybe, you know, acted outside of their marriage and caused pain to their partner, that is not at all malicious in a lot of cases. it's It causes themselves great levels of pain as well. And so it is really easy to, to tap into the compassion and realize that, that this person doesn't need further like punishment, they don't need chastising, they don't need you to wag their finger at them. They need you um, to be there, bear witness to the pain and help them work through the root issues that are are activating these behaviors.
0: So I'm kind of curious to know too, the people that you work with in this field, are they mostly other social workers or do they come from other professions?
1: The people that I work with um, when doing like sexual addiction treatment, It's interesting. That's a really good question. Um, I think most of them are social workers or registered registered psychotherapists. Um, I don't know that I've I've really encountered anyone with a different credential.
0: Um, There, there could be though. It's interesting to think about that. It's mostly dominated by social workers, even though there are so many other mental health practitioners who do like trauma therapy or just you know therapy in general. So it's interesting to me that it tends to be social workers in this particular specialization. Do you feel like there's a difference between social workers and like psychologists and psychiatrists in the way that we orient our practice?
1: Mm. I think, I mean, speaking of just the the sex addiction therapists that I know, there's there's social workers. And I think addiction in general, I've come across more social workers. And I, and I would wonder if it Is perhaps in the way that we're trained to look at like systems and the wider context around individuals. So we have that ability to, so so maybe the line of thinking makes a lot more sense to us, where it's we don't just see like an individual acting out and say, well, you have a problem. Where it's easy for us, I think, to see like an individual acting out and like, oh, there's trauma at the root of that. Yeah, of course there is, because that's the systems that we're so used to looking at the family system, the environment, and the culture. So it. Could be a
0: piece of that that we're used to looking at things from that lens. That makes a lot of sense to me because just thinking about the way that social workers work in comparison to the way other mental health professionals work, we're not as concerned with diagnosing and we're not at all concerned with prescribing medication because that's not something we're even allowed to do. So we tend to take that perspective no matter what. We have to be looking at the trauma. We have to be looking at the system. We have to be looking at the family and the individual as a whole because we can't just prescribe a medication and move on with our lives. Um, That's just the way social work works.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And I like that too. Like That's another piece of the work too is because... Uh, sex addiction can be such like a family component to it, right? Like there's childhood trauma and then there's sexual addiction but then with the sexual addiction like if that person also has a, their own family with with children like it's breaking cycles too so it's like yeah like intervening at a generational level to say like we're going to address it here so it doesn't continue down here and yeah it's so much more than just the individual
0: oh that's such an interesting perspective what are you going to be doing next in your work because I know you're starting kind of a, a new chapter right now. Yeah.
1: So right now I'm working with an outpatient team still in addictions, and I'm doing um, some behavioral addictions work. So the the nice thing about sexual addiction work is it's also um, – you can translate it towards, like, compulsive shopping, um, gambling, um, like I said, love, like kind of like the relationship, video games, technology, And then I'm also in private practice right now as well um, doing a variety of treatments, not just sexual addiction, mood disorders, um, and of course, like I said before, trauma.
0: Busy. You're very busy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh So I guess just kind of as a final question, I just want to know what you would want people to know about social workers, if you could just sum it up in a couple of words what would you want people who think that all social workers do is take away people's children know about what it is we actually do?
1: Yes. I'm, I'm laughing as you say that because I, I have actually had that experience. I don't know if people realize how true that is, that there are people out there who think that social workers just take away children. That's all we do. And there's so much more that social workers do. Um, What I'd want people to remember about social workers is that, Um, While we do come from, yes, an extremely problematic history as an organization or as a profession, um, our field has, I think, rapidly changed and has made a very conscious effort of changing the way we work with people. And I think that's what we were speaking to earlier when we said, like, we take a very holistic approach, um, like a systems approach. Um, And so just remembering that I think and... I know this is not true of each of them, but I do think that a lot of social workers get into the field because of where their heart's at, and, and that's, I think, important to remember that we, we really are here just to try to create change. Um, we live in the same world as, as our clients do, and, and of course, we want to benefit from a, a better world just like they do.
0: I think that it's really telling that we're even just willing to, in a very public way, because this is a podcast that people will hopefully be listening to, um, to admit that, you know, we do come from a very problematic background. Social work has not been perfect. We started off being very oppressive. It was mostly um, very religious people just going around door to door and telling people what they're doing wrong in their lives. Um, right. And, and we tend
1: to try not to do that
0: anymore. I um, could hope so, Yes. <laughs>
1: I guess the other piece, I'd, and with that then, the extra piece I would add is that I hope people, if you do have an experience with the social work that is less than ideal, I hope they don't write off the entire profession. We are a very diverse group, and I'd like to think that most of us have, have our heart in the right place, so I would hope if, if you do have an interaction that wasn't great, that you do, like, reach out to the college, use it. It's a system to regulate us, and don't let that get in your way of working
0: with social workers in the future. I think that is really important because a lot of people get turned off from getting mental health treatment because they had some sort of really bad experience either with a social worker or with someone else. I know our hospitals are not always a really great place for people with mental health. So yeah, people, they they kind of lose hope and they stop seeking treatment and it's really important to keep on trying. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, thank you for talking to me today, Amber. I think that you know, the the work that you do is fascinating. And I think that it's a really awesome thing to do, considering that not many people are doing it. So thank you for sharing that today. Thank you so
1: much for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you again, like our old days in the uh, conference
0: room (laughs) doing peer support. (laughs) Have to make a virtual conference room now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm really grateful that Amber took the time to share her perspectives today. Personally, I love her approach to therapy, and I really learned a lot from our discussion. The biggest thing I took away is that sex addiction is real and recovery is possible. People experiencing this type of addiction deserve the kind and compassionate care from a certified professional who's able to provide appropriate treatment. If you're interested in learning more about sex addiction and about CSAT certification, visit the International Institute for Trauma and Addictions Professionals website. There's lots of information on there and I found it really helpful, so you might too. If you think that sex addiction is something that you might be experiencing, I encourage you to reach out for support. The International Institute for Trauma and Addictions Professionals website has a Find Your Therapist feature. So you can use that to find someone who has this type of certification and would be able to help. As well, Psychology Today is a website that is a central point for a lot of therapists. I know that that's where I'm registered and most of the people I know who are therapists are registered there too. I checked and you can actually sort for people with CSAT certification. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can find the right person who'd be able to help you. By sharing information and stories, the Social Work Social hopes to inspire you to take action to reduce the stigma of mental health and help normalize seeking mental health treatment. Over the next week, consider what you can do to help. There are so many things you can do based on your strengths, skills, and comfort. Look up mental health initiatives in your area and see if there are any volunteer opportunities. Or maybe take a mental health first aid or suicide intervention course. Even just a kind social media post or an encouraging word to someone struggling with their mental health can make a huge difference to that person. Thank you for listening to The Social Work Social. Tune in again next Friday for another episode. Thank you to Taking It Global, the Government of Canada, and the Canada Service Corps for generously supporting this project. If you have a simple project idea to support your community, Taking It Global is looking to support youth who are inspired with ideas and ready to take action through their youth-led community service grants. Apply for a Rising Youth grant today at risingyouth.ca.